0: everybody, if you can make your way to your seats, we will get started. Uh, Like Jim said, my name is John, and I am on sabbatical. Still, our leadership team felt it was wise if I would start working like 10 hours a week. So we're easing me back into full time, which will start on November 17th, which also happens to be Savannah's wedding right coming back for you you and Ryan that's awesome Ryan is not here this morning and the bride is the center anyway so this morning I want to share a topic that I, I love it's kind of a heavy topic we're going to be talking about the thorns of life we're going to look at uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh And to give you some understanding of what we're gonna talk about, I wanna show you a scene from my backyard here. This is, we have this beautiful Bougainvillea bush that is on top of an arbor and now has a new occupant. We found a little rat and we named it Templeton. So, um, but this Bougainvillea bush produces incredible thorns. So I brought this. I know you guys may not be able to see this very well, these are very long, and so the bougainvillea bush drops thorns everywhere. Our pit bull, Baloo, loves to just eat them. I love to pray out there with, in bare feet, and this doesn't work well. So when we had a, a gathering at our house about a year ago, Uh, you all were hanging by the pool and enjoying one another. I was in the bathroom with one of my buddies, Haywood, who had a scalpel trying to dig out one of these thorns. And so the image was very clear to me. A, A thorn is something that is painful. And it's difficult. And it's not what you want. It's things in your life that's like, man, I hate this. Why is this even here. And so that's what I wanna talk about here today. So uh, I wanna pray for you guys. So would you bow your heads? Father God, we come here uh, and we make a choice to be empty. We make a choice in the presence of God to open up our heart without defense in order to sit under a book to sit under a word, something that we understand as the word of God that you would speak, that you would speak life and truth and conviction into our lives here today. So we ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to walk through 2 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, that's good. It's a great thing to bring your Bible. We're going to emphasize this more. There's something good about having a hard copy book and to be able to take notes in it. So there are going to be words that you're going to want to underline or circle in your Bible, and that is legal. You're allowed to do that. I want to give you a little background music about what's going on here with Paul and with Corinth. First of all, Paul. Paul was according to his own testimony, the worst sinner that God could find. He was the enemy of Christianity. He was hunting down Christians in order to take them back to prison or back to where they would stand trial. And he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in a blinding light. And he was blind as he was led into the city of Damascus where a a Christian named Ananias And a group of other believers must have thought Paul, or Saul as he was known then, coming to their city was the worst thing that could possibly happen. And God told Ananias to to pray over Saul. And when he said that, what God told Ananias about Saul is, I am going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And so the principle here is really quite simple. In order to use us, God needs to wound us. There's something that happens when we have a thorn, when we have an area in our life that we hate but surrender. There's something beautiful when we allow God to get to areas, to spaces in our heart that we really want to keep control over. God does something that he can do in no other way through the thorn. So after he realized how much he would suffer, Saul, now known as Paul, began his missionary work and planted churches all over the place. One of those was the church at Corinth. What do you guys know about Corinth? Yeah, crazy. That's a good word. Corinth was a hyper-sexualized city. Uh, The phrase, a Corinthian girl, referred to a prostitute. Um, And so they had a temple above the city, the Temple of Aphrodite, and prostitutes from the temple would come down into Corinth each night. And so when Paul began the church there... The people that were coming to know Jesus were coming out of very dark backgrounds. And so the church struggled mightily with many things. As Paul writes this letter, there's one person in the church who's suing another. It's kind of a bad deal. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion here after the teaching. Well, when they took communion, some of the people got drunk. Maybe not the best way to represent Jesus. We had in the city of Corinth one dude that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. The church was a messy place because people were coming out of such difficult backgrounds. And in Paul's absence, some teachers came into the city and came to the church and began to distract the church from Jesus. They began to lead the church away from truth and into error. And if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul refers to them quite sarcastically as super apostles, because he doesn't think they're super at all. And there's this, all this tension, because the church has kind of fallen in love with these false teachers, and rumors begin to go around, and Paul hears what the church thinks of him. And one of those rumors one of those things that was said about him was that Paul's presence was contemptible. And he was good at writing letters, but his personal, his personal appearance was not impressive. So I'm just imagining myself standing up here to teach if someone had the attitude of, not impressive, contemptible actually. So Paul is struggling with the feelings of the church toward him, as he writes this letter. And so in chapter 11, before chapter 12 that we're about to look at, he decides he's gonna contrast the false teachers with himself. And he he takes a brilliant tack. He doesn't say, I've planted more churches than any of you guys have any imagined. And instead, he said, here's every way that I've suffered. For Jesus. He lists all of his struggles and his weaknesses, and that's where we pick up the story in chapter 12. Y'all with me? All right, chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on to boasting, though is nothing to be gained from it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Now, in their understanding of the the world there was the atmosphere and then there was space and then the third heaven which we know heaven is not like geographically uh above space it's not like we're going to bump into heaven someday but in their understanding that's what he's referring to that this man this person that paul knows had a vision and was somehow transported into heaven whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. He just repeats himself for emphasis here. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. This individual, whoever he is, had this experience and was in the presence of Jesus Christ In heaven, Uh, Verse 5 is interesting. Uh, On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. All I'm going to talk about is my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than what he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So I hope you follow what he's doing here. The Corinthians and these false teachers are all about boasting. They boast in saying, we have these letters of recommendation. We are these skilled teachers, unlike Paul. We've had these great visions. And Paul says, well, I'm not going to boast like you are. I'm only going to boast in my weakness. Though there is one little story that I might tell you, the person that had the vision that was transported into heaven was, was Paul. That's his point. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know, let's just step back and look at Paul for a minute. Paul, in the book of Philippians, says that he has suffered the loss of all things. Let's just imagine what it was like for Paul, who had converted from being a Pharisee to being a follower of Jesus, to go back into his Pharisaic home and talk to his Pharisaic dad and his Pharisaic mom about Jesus. I have suffered the loss of all things. His parents likely kicked him out of the house. He was likely whipped by the synagogue in a form of discipline. He says in the chapter right before this one that he has been whipped I think it's five times, if I remember right, 39 lashes. It was very unusual for a Jewish man to remain unmarried. Paul was likely married. He likely suffered the loss of his family and his wife as he began to follow Jesus. And because of all the suffering he was going to go through, God gave him a vision of what Jesus is. And here he says that he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. You know, scholars debate on what is this thorn? What is this thing that was thrust into Paul's flesh that slowed him down, that produced pain, that he hated, that he prayed about? What was the thorn? And scholars come up with all sorts of different theories. Some think that it was some kind of a physical condition, maybe a sickness, maybe malaria, maybe epilepsy. That would explain his appearance being contemptible if he had an epileptic seizure while teaching the church at Corinth. In the book of Galatians, he refers to his eyes. So maybe he had some kind of an eye condition, Maybe he had continued guilt over the Christians that he had killed earlier. Maybe there was some ongoing struggle, or maybe he had an opponent, someone that would follow him around city by city. We don't know. He doesn't say. But he does say something that I want you to notice. He says, a thorn was given me. So even though he looked at this thorn and said, this is... This is evil. This is like a messenger from Satan. The inference is very clear that God is the one that gave the thorn. God is the one that allowed the hardship. God is the one who graced Paul with something that Paul absolutely hated. Because God wanted to get to a place in his heart. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times does not mean I prayed yesterday, today, and you know, a couple days ago. It means three times in my ministry life, I've sought God, I've spent time, weeks perhaps, fasting and asking God to take away this thing that I hate that haunts me and follows me everywhere I go. And three times, God has said no. I want this teaching to be very practical, so I'd like you to follow me in a little thought experiment, if you would. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to have our eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to stand if you've experienced any of these things, because it doesn't do us any good to hear a teaching about the thorn if we don't recognize what ours is. Can we do this together? Okay, close your eyes. If you have had a situation in your life that you think, I hate this, God, why? If you've had that experience, please stand. If you have a condition or you've had a condition, maybe a physical condition, maybe an emotional condition, a depression, something like, God, what is going on? If you've had a condition that has affected you like that, please stand. If you've had a relationship that is so difficult, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a relative, but someone where every interaction just pushes your buttons, drives you crazy, please stand. If you have a weakness in your life, or you've had a weakness in your life, and you so want to follow Jesus... You so want to do better, but you keep banging your head against this weakness in your life. And you say, God, can you not heal me? And yet you still struggle with that weakness. Please stand. I want you guys to open your eyes and look around you and recognize that almost every person in this room has experienced what we're talking about. Go ahead and have a seat. It's important that we recognize what our thorn is. Can you put your finger on it? Can you put your finger on what that thorn is? You can do it literally later if you want. I'll leave this up here for you. Um, do you recognize what that thorn is? How is God going to move into that area of your struggle if you don't even know what it is? If you can't acknowledge this, I, I gotta hate this. Please remove this. We have to recognize what our, our thorn is. Back to verse. Nine is where we're at. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, remove it from me, but verse 9, but he said to me, no. Now, it's not in there. The word no, but the word is no is heavily implied. He says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. In weakness what is implied is in your weakness in that area of struggle in that thorn that's where jesus's power wants to be manifested you you think about this this is crazy right because all of us we're in a world where it's like bring your a-game present your best image we all hate weaknesses and paul says you know what after walking with Jesus so long, I've realized that that's what I bring to the table. That's the area where he wants to show himself most strongly. My power is made perfect in your weakness. What every single person in this room needs to be the person you want to be, to flourish, to live an abundant life, to experience power is in one word, it's grace. So once you look at 2 Corinthians 9, 9 8, we're going to take a quick tangent and then go back. God is able, God is able to make all grace. Abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see Paul kind of making a point here? God has all the grace that any human being needs in their marriage, with their kids, at work, in a difficult situation, in the church, in the world, in every place where you go. God has all the grace that you will ever need. All you have to do is come to this table empty. And look to Christ and let Him fill you. Paul speaks out of his personal experience here. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. This is what I want more than any other thing, for Jesus to be seen in me, for the one who died for me to live through me, for the one who gave his life for me to shine in my marriage, to shine in my parenting, to shine when I'm with people that don't know Jesus, to shine when I'm with, hanging with people that do know Jesus at all times. And God has created a pathway, and it's called your weakness, your thorn. So, I want to do something a little scary here. Um, I want to read a poem to you. Uh, Poems have been cathartic for me. Uh, When I went on sabbatical five months ago, I realized something was not right in my heart. And one of the things I did was as I was listening to God, I allowed God to speak poetry in my life. Uh, It's kind of scary because maybe you'll hate it. You just might hate it. Roses are red. No, kidding. Um, I do want to share with you honestly, though, that this is a vulnerable point for me because this is a very personal poem. Some of you love poetry and some of you are like, are you serious? I hate poetry. And that's okay. That's all right. You may arrive at our upper level someday in the future. Um, But I, I want to take just a minute and describe what the poem is talking about so you can track with it, because I'm really not interested in you enjoying the poem as much as you getting the point of the poem. So for me, back when I went on sabbatical, I felt like I was driving a car that had lost control and spun out. And as I sat there, I began to realize God was speaking to me About how he had me exactly where he wanted me to be. And he began to do things in my heart that were surprising and amazing. I began to experience a deeper, deeper grace. And so there's just, I I want you to think about this. I want you to hear this poem in the context of your thorn. So think about your thorn right now. Think about that area. I also, with further disclaimer, want to say uh, I will need Grace to be able to read this. So um, if we have awkward pause, um, I'll just look to Jim, he'll come up, he'll finish. It's uh, called Collide. I was full throttle acceleration, Autobahn to the place I must go. Warp speed I must accomplish. My message the world needs to know, but it drove me to redlining I simply ignored the rain, pain-filled drops from heaven on my windshield and in my brain, flooding my once clear vision, obscuring which way I should go, blinding me, driving me off of the map, descending to places unknown. Hairpin turned into darkness, a divine detour for my soul. I've lost all control as I hurtle off the road and into wreckage. Where there is no vestige, of direction, only spinning wheels, spitting gravel, the screech of twisting metal, and then silence. Of course, this is just a metaphor, an allegory of how I feel, yet it is meant to point to something revealed, to something real, that I was wrecked and bleeding out, languishing in inability, hemorrhaging in doubt, crushed by my circumstance, feeling empty and confused. Lord, all I've ever wanted was simply to be used as a vessel of your grace, a vessel of your love, but I lie here in the wreckage just trying to get up when you say, don't. Don't go back to driving, to striving, pressing and stressing. I didn't call you to win the world. Just respond to my blessing. And yes, I caused the darkness to fall and I send the rain you endure. I weakened the guardrails around you. I created the perfect storm, but all was perfectly necessary, a sovereign tearing apart all which is meant to redeem you, all to salvage your heart, to rescue you from your ambition, for I have a different mission, a higher vision, a calling to delight in the wonderful sight of me. Let that sink in. Be cautious as you begin. Don't rev the engine of your now-wrecked car, for it will not drive, at least. Not far. I wrecked it for a reason, but only for a season. Restoration from your plight painfully begins when you just turn right and see me. Don't think for one second I've left you because I'm right here beside you in a covenant of love. In the passenger seat where you put me, you said you'd drive. To your own destination, your salvation, I just can't let you arrive. My plan and yours have collided and yet, yet still I will make a way. Just put the map down and listen, hear what I have to say. I'm bigger than your mistakes and greater than the battles you've won. Your addiction, obsession, and vision is Jesus, the crucified one. Your ways and mine collide until you more deeply abide, not drive, so compose your soul. On me, you can rely. So in this collision, there is a blessed surrender that I can't use words to explain as if I'm the offender because all I do is bleed. I bleed out like I did long ago, like I always do. What I do, I do from love. And great love I have for you. I bleed out hope and love and joy and grace. So this, the wreckage, is a holy place, a sacred space of me filling you and then driving too. We will arrive and there you will thrive, but it will be on the road of my design. I want you to just look at your thorn and I want you to see the hand of God there. I want you to see that the struggles of this life, the things that we hate at times, that the presence of God is there. His fingerprints are all over the scene. And he wants to draw something out of us that we cannot produce ourselves because it's not about us and it never has been. It is about him living his life Through our bodies. So back to the text. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ then. I am content. With weaknesses. With insults. With hardships. With persecutions. And calamities. For when I am weak. Then I am strong. It may take us a lifetime to learn this, and even by the end of our lives, we may not have gotten it. God never was looking for our strength. We began this journey through a pastor or a friend, someone explaining the cross to us. And we realized in that holy moment that what we brought to the table was only our sin only our weakness. God never needed or wanted anything else. And in that moment of surrender, we gained everything. So the path that we're invited to walk now, if we've come to this place of holy surrender to God, this path that we walk is one of surrender and trust. It's one of inviting Jesus in to moments where honestly, no, I don't want to pray. Into places that I honestly hate. And it's there as we learn how to let Christ fill us that in our weakness, his strength is seen. Steve is going to lead us into communion, so I invite Steve and Jesse onto the stage, but I'd like us to stand, and we're going to take a minute and pray. I hope that, uh, you know, my journey, I hope that the, the, the thorny thing that God has been teaching me has been helpful to you this morning. But let's take that thorn right now. Let's take that and let's freshly give it to God. Could you bow your heads with me in prayer? Great God, we thank you that your ways are infinitely higher than ours, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your thoughts higher than our thoughts and your ways greater than our ways. We can't Control you. We can't put you in a little box. We can't put you as a doctrine in the back pocket of our jeans and walk through life. We need you moment by moment. Moment by moment. We thank you for the privilege of walking this holy journey of representing you to the world. And yet right now, in, this, in your presence, we just want to acknowledge, God, that we've hated areas of our life. We've defended or justified instead of surrendering to you, which we want to do now. Father God, We come to you, we look to you, we surrender to you. As we take communion, wash us, refresh us, re-envision us with the God that became flesh and blood to wreck our lives and make us new. And it's in Jesus' holy name.